Well, before I read one more time from this marvelous uh, 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, closing out this sermon series, I'd like for us to bow our heads and to enter into a time of meditation and quiet, to be in God's presence. I would particularly ask you to do two things. Uh, First of all, do some centering, some clearing of your head and heart to just enjoy and experience God's love in you and for you for a few moments. And the second thing is to remember the victims of the tsunami and earthquake in Indonesia. The last time I saw the news, about 6 this morning, uh, 800-plus had perished. And uh, be lifting that up. But first of all, just be silent in God's presence. And then when you're comfortable, silently voice that intercession for those so far away. Loving God, you have promised that you are a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should melt and slip into the heart of the sea. We want to be still in these moments and know that you are God. We lift up to you those victimized by the tsunami and the earthquake and those still recovering from the uh, horrific hurricane here in the States. And for all who are hurting today, those within the sound of my voice and those who are far away from us, but our hearts are burdened for them, for the sick, for the grieving, for the troubled, for the broken, for the marginalized. Help us to live your promise, to live into your promises of Scripture so that we might experience them and have faith and trust in you. We pray today for our mission partners, for the work that's happened in South Dakota and Kenya, for our Ukrainian sisters and brothers, for South Elementary School partnership and partners in our neighborhood. May we be Christ's presence in all of those settings, and may we all be transformed by your love. And may Jefferson City and the community be transformed because we learn to love well. May our world be transformed because we have learned to love as Jesus loves. Mighty God, we ask today that you open our hearts one more time to this beautiful text and feed our souls and challenge us and bring us into a right relationship with you and with neighbors with enemies. God, may you continue to change us. This is our prayer through Christ the Lord. Amen. And now I want to read from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. If you're able, please stand as I read this scripture aloud. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and following. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels... But do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith Hope and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, on this last uh, sermon in this series, I want us to back up. I want us to take a more macro look at the biblical instruction and model for love. I want us to think about this uh, command to love and the the way of God's love more than just what it means in individual one-on-one relationships. I want us to read this scriptural instruction uh, with an eye to what this means for the church, this church, the mission of our church, the purpose of our church, why we exist, and how this teaching might impact the way we are church. In other words, What would it look like if First Baptist Church in Jefferson City became a laboratory of love? This is where people come to see how folks who are very different from one another learn to love deeply. And they not only come to observe how people who are very different from one another learn to love deeply, but they learn how to do it themselves. What would it be like if we became known as the people who love well. Think about that. What would it be like if all over the community, that's what people said about First Baptist Church, those people love well? Because that's what I hear Scripture saying. Now, it might help to one more time uh, ground this in this chapter in its historical context. Uh, The church at Corinth, we think, was founded uh, in the early 50s A.D. The Corinthian letter, we believe, was written about 53 A.D., just a scant 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. It occurred to me today that anybody over 30 will realize 20 years isn't much time. If you're younger than 30, that seems like a long time, right? But just a scant 20 years, the letter's written. We think, we don't know, we think the Corinthian church probably was a congregation of about 100 to 200 people made up of an an amazing amalgam of people. If you look at the map, Corinth is a port city. That means that there was wide diversity in that city. Diversity culturally, diversity of languages, diversity of beliefs and worldviews. They had uh, 
racial tensions, ethnic tensions. They had political tensions. They had socioeconomic differences. They had wealthy merchants who were making a killing uh, at the port, uh, shipping goods. They had slaves. They had uh, what we would call minimum wage workers. And in many ways, historians tell us, Corinth was a story of the rich getting richer and the poor becoming more so. And all of these tensions were brought into the church as well as the huge historic Jew-Gentile rift, the tensions between the Jews and the non-Jews. All of that was brought into the church. And so the question became, how in the world can this church with 100 to 200 people, with all those differences, how could it ever become a laboratory of love? And of course the question then is how could we ever become a laboratory of love? Some time back I was at a Baptist World Alliance meeting and I heard about a believer, a follower of Christ, who had learned 17 languages his own tongue, his own native language, and 16 others, fluently. And somebody asked him, why did you learn to speak 17 languages? And you know what his reply was? I didn't learn the languages to speak them. I learned the languages to listen to them. I wanted to understand other people. And I think that tells us a lot about how this chapter about love should impact First Baptist Mission. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not arrogant. It isn't rude. How many times do we want the world to come to us and to our way rather than to practice the humility of listening? For you see... To live love means that we are not a church-centered congregation, but we are a community-centered congregation, a world-focused congregation, an unchurched-focused congregation, not self-focused. That's hard for us to to really soak in and understand, but that's what this chapter is calling us to. When you read it congregationally, not just individually. I love this quote by Peter Scazzaro uh, in the book that we have recommended to, en- to many church leaders, The Emotionally Healthy Church, making incarnation a priority disrupts the church's definition of success. It is no longer simply doing more or fixing people, it is about loving well. If we are going to be the incarnation of Christ, if we are going to be the body of Christ in Jefferson City, it won't be the typical definition of success, of doing more activities and programs and busy schedules, of tinkering with people and trying to control people and fix people. It will be about loving well about loving well. So that love is not a plaque you put on the wall. Love is a call to revolution, 
to be the church of Jesus Christ in a new way. To be the people of God in a new way that transforms our city. Not a plaque. It's called a revolution. And I think Scazzaro's description of being the incarnation of Christ gets at that. I heard a uh, church consultant say this one time. He said, there is no, important ta- no more important task than people. There is no Im- more important task than people. Do you agree with that? I hope so. There's no more important task than people. Well, another thing as I meditated and reflected on this uh, chapter I want you to see the internal logic of, of some, some scheduled events in our church's life and to see the convergence and the planning between what's happening in the pulpit teaching of our church and what's happening in our calendar. Specifically, while we've been for this month praying over and trying to learn 1 Corinthians 13, we, we now want to move it out of our heads and hearts into action. This coming Saturday, the Thriving Families Workshop being held at the church. You've been seeing publicity about it, and it's for families of all shapes and sizes to say, you know, we get to decide as a family how well we're going to love, how well we're going to practice forgiveness and grace. We get to decide whether we're a family of one or a blended family, or what kind of family, how we're going to live the gospel. And some very practical handles will be offered. And then, two weeks from today, on October 14th, a Sunday, Dr. Terrell Carter will be with us to preach in the morning service, to lead a workshop Sunday afternoon after a a lunch together. He is an African-American pastor of a white church in St. Louis, He is a seminary professor and a former St. Louis police officer. Now, you're not going to find somebody better credentialed to talk about a conversation about race. He's humble. He's he's rich in insights. And God has used his life to bless me so much. And we're going to have a conversation on race because we're going to take this 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians to the streets. We're going to take it to the streets of Jefferson City. And we're going to learn more about being the people of God and about loving well and about how love is more than a plaque on the wall. Congressman John Lewis is a United States representative uh, from Georgia. Many of you have read about him, seen him on the news. As a young man, he marched with Martin Luther King Jr. and many others on that Edmund Pettus Bridge, on that fateful uh, day of that brutal uh, beating uh, uh, and and a very symbolic march in 1965. Uh, uh, John Lewis was almost killed in that experience. There was an interesting thing that happened to him not long ago. Uh, A visitor showed up at his congressional office. The visitor was in his 70s. And he brought with him his son who was in his 40s. And the visitor had this appointment with the congressman. The visitor was a white man. He and his, wife, uh, he and his son were white. 
And uh, the guest who was in his 70s said to the congressman, you wouldn't know me, but when I was a very young man, I'm one of those who beat you almost to death on, on the Pettus Bridge. And he said, I'm here to confess that to you and to apologize. I was a member of the KKK and I thought I was doing God's will. He said, I apologize, but I wanted to do it not only in front of you, but in front of my son to let my son hear what I had done that was wrong and to let my son hear me apologize to you. What is it that Paul said? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Wow. So for us, if we're going to take 1 Corinthians 13 seriously, we have to decide whether we as a church are going to be a part of this community's conversation about race and about justice and about God loving everybody. We have to decide whether we're going to be involved in that community conversation or whether we're just going to be pious wall plaques that talk about it. We get to decide. And since love is that which lasts forever, as Hannah beautifully preached last week, love is what still exists when this old world stops spinning. Since that is true, we get to bear witness to this community whether or not we believe that and whether or not we're going to live it. You know, St. Augustine, who lived in one of the early Christian centuries, had this amazing insight. He said, we forget sometimes, because the world is so fallen, it's so full of sin and hate, we forget that peace and forgiveness and justice are the norms. They're the way the world is supposed to be. They are the way God created the world. Peace and forgiveness and justice. They're not the abnormality. They're God's normal. It's just that the abnormal has become normalized. God's vision for the world, for this world, not just the next, for this world, is peace and forgiveness and justice. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It's easy to grow cynical. What a brutal world it is. So hate-filled. It's, it's easy to grow cynical. So where do we get our energy to keep on loving? And of course... The answer is that love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, love never ends. Let me give you a, just an insight into your own struggle with loving. If you are refusing to love someone, whether it's a person or a race or a people group, if you are struggling to love, what you're really saying is you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we believe that God has knocked down all the walls and that the floodgates of, of energizing love have been opened because the resurrection means that love is greater than hate. 
And so we'd better start living into the resurrection because that's where we get our power. It's where we get our, our strength because love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's a resurrection power. And a standard for this 1 Corinthians 13 for me is the Reinhold Niebuhr quote that if you, if you read very much about the famous theologian who was born uh, just outside of St. Louis, uh, he and his uh, brother were famous theologians of the 20th century. Uh, if you read Niebuhr, Reinhold Niebuhr very much, you'll run across this quote as he captures the essence of 1 Corinthians 13. Nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. And nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we are saved by love. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The man who was president of uh, Midwestern Seminary when I did two degrees there, Dr. Milton Ferguson, died uh, a little over a year ago, about a year ago, I guess. And uh, I attended his memorial service last March. And of all the beautiful stories and beautiful quotes about his life, uh, this is my favorite. Toward the end of his life, they said he kept saying, I don't know what heaven's like. But in heaven, I want to learn to love the way God loves. I don't know what heaven's like. But when I get to heaven, I want to learn to love the way God loves. And now abide these three. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love.